welcome to an exciting new episode of Next Best Adaptation. Some of you might remember that we previously ran this series back in 2018 when Will hosted several episodes. We read and discussed Beautiful Boy, Boy Erased, and First Man. Um, this year, we're bringing back the series, and we have some very exciting titles lined up to read and share our thoughts on. So if you don't know, Next Best Adaptation is a special Patreon-only part of Next Best Picture, where we read books that are being adapted into films this year. And first, we discuss the book itself, like a book club, and then we talk about how we think the upcoming adaptation is going to go. Um, so I'm Nicole Ackman, and I will be your host for Next Best Adaptation, and I am joined today by Will Mavity. Hello, hello, hello. And Dan Bear. Last night I dreamt I went to Mandalay again. <laughs> you have to say the entire episode like that. You know that, right? <laughs> I'll try. So, so as everyone will know at this point from the title, we are here to discuss Daphne du Maurier's classic gothic novel, Rebecca, today. Um, Rebecca was first published in 1938 and was an instant success and has actually never been out of print. It was first adapted for the stage by Daphne du Maurier herself in 1939 and then into a film that was directed by Hitchcock in 1940. It's also been adapted as a radio play, an opera, and even a musical, which is very popular in Germany. Um, but a new film adaptation is coming to Netflix later this year, directed by Ben Wheatley and written by Jane Goldman. It will star Lily James, Army Hammer, and Kristen Scott Thomas. But before we talk about the film adaptation that is coming, let's talk about the novel. So first thoughts, guys. What did you think of Rebecca? I, my, my first reaction, I think, when I finished this book was, God, like, why do all these classic novels from so long ago have so many scandalous plot points? <laughs> <laughs> That's we we were texting about this and I was like, oh yeah, like it's never just an ex-wife. There's always a story there. And like and it's never just an affair. Like it yeah. <laughs> can't just be that the dead wife you know, had an affair. She had to have multiple affairs, including an incestuous one. And it can't just be that she died. She had to be murdered by her husband who thought she was pregnant with another man's baby. Like, <laughs> it's just like, and like, it's regarded as a classic. And I'm just like, but like, have it's we got- It's the Jane Eyre effect. It is. It but is. like. I, it is. You, you said that, Nicole, but I just keep thinking, like, if this were published today, like, would people be, like, people would be scandalized by that? No? Like, I, I feel like we've gotten almost more prudish as a society in regards to well, these Well, apparently... Like, she, absolutely. Apparently she was excluded from some literary circles at the time because they mm -hmm. found the material tawdry. And she had a chip in her yeah. shoulder her whole life because... You know, there even at the time, there were people like, "No, this is trash." So, I mean, <laughs> it, it, it was something considered. But yes, now I think it would be even more so, probably um, regarded in the girl on the train camp, maybe. Yeah. And I, I also think it's interesting that I, I read this essay, which for one, it compared Rebecca to Jane Eyre and to Gone with the Wind, which I found really interesting. Um, both of those novels also, like Rebecca, revolve around a property, uh, a great manor house, um, and how 
people relate to it. And I, it, you know, it kind of in this article, it said that Maxim's great love isn't Rebecca or the narrator, his second wife, it's Manderly. Mm. And, mm. but it also talked about the fact that from the beginning, um, this book was marketed as like this great Gothic romance. And Mario was kind of like, well, that's, that's not what this is. And even today, I think it has this kind of reputation as, oh, this, this romance. Yeah. And really, I don't think that's what's going on at the heart of it at all. No, I, that was the other thing. Like I was shocked how, um, upstairs, downstairs, almost Downton Abbey-esque the storyline is. It's really about a woman from the poor um, part of England learning to become a lady of high standing and how she fits in and doesn't fit in in this world. Mm-hmm. Well, and also what's interesting is in addition to those two genres, it um it does feel gothic horror esque. I mean, there, there's yes. this just palpable sense yeah. of dread on every page through the language. You know, like it's thriller. it's very like ghostly, and there's I think you know there is this thing where Rebecca, the character, does seem to like haunt the novel in a way, mm-hmm. in that her presence is always lingering there, yeah. even though as a reader you never actually meet Rebecca. Um, herself, you only hear about her from different characters. Mm -hmm. So I guess for anyone who is listening who maybe hasn't read it... um... (laughs) Which, sorry, we just spoiled everything Yeah, I think it's been spoiled already. (laughs) Yes, but also, like, the book is over 50 years old, so... You know, well over fifty, right? And and it there is also a famous best picture uh, winning film based on this. So I'm sorry if you know there are going to be spoilers. But for anyone who maybe doesn't know, spoilers alert. But um, it is a novel about a young girl of um, reduced circumstances. You know, there's this idea that she was uh, maybe raised, you know, lower class, but okay but now she's an orphan and thus she's having to make her way in the world as this companion to this obnoxious rich woman um and while they're in what is it monte carlo they come across this uh kind of mysterious widower named maxim de winter who um kind of takes an interest in this young girl and they end up married and he takes her back to his estate um manderly which i don't know that it's ever said in the book but it's kind of understood to be uh, set in Cornwall, um, and Manderley is actually based on an actual house called, I think it's Minabilly, which Daphne du Maurier had admired for many years and eventually bought and lived in. Um, and it's kind of about how she has to, like Dan was saying, learn how to be the lady of this great house, but also about how she's kind of haunted by the presence in the house of Maxim's first wife, Rebecca. And there's also this very interesting relationship with the housekeeper, Mrs. Danvers, who was very fond of Rebecca. Putting it mildly. <laughs> Understatement, Yeah. <laughs> Which is how they would like me to say it in 1938 when the novel came out. Um, but yeah, what did you guys think of Mrs. Danvers as this kind of um, villainous character, the kind of antagonist in this novel? I know that people have argued that the the book is meant to be kind of a not quite as tragic and also just like a gender swapped Oedipus story. 
Mm. And that she is the equivalent of Oedipus's father that needs to be Mm. killed in order to finally, like, fulfill the prophecy. And in this case, I guess, establish the narrator has to establish herself as a woman. So she is, you know, she, she is everything that stands in the narrator's way. And there's this weird kind of psychosexual relationship between all the above and certainly between Miss um, Danvers and the now absent Rebecca. So there's a sexual element here. It is kind of Oedipal, it seems like. Okay, that scene where she takes um, the narrator, and for anyone listening, we keep calling her that because she's never named in the novel. Um, whenever she takes her into the bedroom, or she, she finds her there, and she's like, let me show you everything. And she's like, here, <laughs> touch Rebecca's clothes. Here's the nightgown I lay out for her every night. I was like, this so is genuinely creepy. one of the creepiest things I've ever read. Seriously, but also, like, because even the, and I'll, I'll be perfectly honest, somehow I had never seen Rebecca until, like, literally just now before we recorded this. <laughs> but I had, you know... I had seen bits and pieces of it over the years as, you know, someone who likes film. And so, like, hearing all of those words in the voice of um, Judith Anderson as Mrs. Danvers, <laughs> it's it's even creepier. <laughs> yeah, it's a really creepy role. And it, I think it, it is really interesting whenever you look at um, the kind of implications of the relationship between Rebecca and Mrs. Danvers. It has been read at times, sometimes as uh, Mrs. Danvers being more like a uh, pseudo-mother figure to Rebecca. Um, and then other people, I think, rightfully read it as a romantic attachment. Um, Mrs. Danvers certainly is obsessed with Rebecca, and Rebecca maybe, it feels like Mrs. Danvers is maybe the only person Rebecca ever liked yeah <laughs> well, i think they're two sides of the same coin basically yeah. they have there there's this capacity for evil thoughts in and evil actions in the two of them that the none of the other characters in the in the book really have except mm-hmm. maybe jack favel but you know that's a family thing <laughs> i think it's interesting in that other than the narrator herself it almost feels at times like every other character in this novel is an antagonist. Yes. <laughs> like, basically, I, like, everyone in this book sucks. <laughs> even the narrator. <laughs> like, they're all, you know, they all, which obviously, like, that's true of people, I think. Like, um, and I think that there's definitely a lot of social commentary going on here, especially in how she talks about this woman that the narrator is working for at the start of the novel and how she's basically this like nosy celebrity hunter who doesn't know what to do with her money and never heard of someone like that. (laughs) (laughs) She's terrible though. And it does make you see why the narrator would jump into any way to get away from this situation. Um, but I think that's a really interesting commentary on the sort of woman that Daphne Duvarier probably knew some people like that. Oh, I think sure. she had a very bleak view of human nature in general. That would mm-hmm. be my guess from this and pretty much everything else she wrote. Yeah, although yeah, she true. does very obviously love dogs. Uh, true, <laughs> a cute dog, lots of licking. Yeah. Jasper is the best character in the whole freaking book. <laughs> 
<laughs> Why do you think she chose not to give the narrator a name? It's an interesting thing because the book is so internal. Um, and that's what later I'm going to talk about. I think that that's what makes it a challenge to adapt to the screen mm. is because um, it's told in the first person and a lot of it is really inside the narrator's head and her perception of things um, and her biased narration of events. And there, I think it's one of the things that's really good about the book is how it allows you to get into her head in moments where it seems like she's um, almost having like panic attacks, maybe the way that it like talks yeah. Uh, herself in circles and stuff. Um, and I think that maybe part of her not really, you know, she doesn't have a name. You don't really know that much about her background either. And she's never really described uh, physically, obviously, because you don't like, you know, a good writer in the first person does not describe oneself. I think that part of that is that it, it's supposed to allow the narrator, the, wow, the reader to really kind of slide into the role of the narrator into this gothic horror. I think also there a lot of the novel is about her finding her identity mm -hmm. about, you know, about her finding, you know, her own way in the world apart from Mrs. Van Hopper and um, apart from Rebecca and, you know, the other whatever may be expected of her in quotes as the Mrs. De Winter, you know, the Lady of Manderley, this grand estate. Yeah. Um, I think the, the book is very much about the difference between the commoners and the, I, I guess, landed gentry, maybe, <sighs> I guess we're talking about. Um, they, they never quite say what exactly uh, the De Winter family's position is, but I... They're certainly landowners. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, like it's very much about the difference between them and how um, each class perceives themselves as well as how they perceive other classes. So it, since it's about this woman who is like sort of struggled between two classes, like what does this mean for her? Who who am I now that I'm no longer myself? I'm Mrs. De Winter. And it yeah. that, like even Rebecca most of the time isn't referred to as Rebecca. She's mostly referred to Rebecca by the narrator. Most of the other characters still refer to her as Mrs. De Winter. Right, or the first Mrs. De Winter. Yeah, the first or... Mrs. De Winter. And it's very, it's it fast, and um, this jumped out more watching the movie, but it's very much about how women don't have an identity in this society. Mm -hmm. You know, they are wives, and that's pretty much it. And how she spends so much of her time trying to become what she thinks yes. Maxim wants and what yes. she thinks Maxim's sister and brother-in-law expect of her and how. I think that some of the most interesting parts of the book actually aren't the gothic horror bits, yeah. but are the parts about her having to go on these visits to these other people in the community and having to receive them and they have to throw the party because everyone expects it and how she, you know, doesn't know how to fit into this world. And I think it's, it's a really, you know, kind of biting commentary on what life is like for women of this time. And particularly if you think that, you know, Demarie herself comes from a similar class. And one of the things I read talking about the novel was saying that if you look at Demarie herself, she's really, you know, you can see her in the narrator, but you also can see her in Rebecca and, mm. you know, a woman who flaunts convention and yeah. who doesn't want um, 
to be what society has said she has to be and who has, you know, there's some stuff written about Du Maurier potentially having had um, some bisexual relationships, having been bisexual. And I think you definitely can read Rebecca that way. Um, And kind of, Mm -hmm. in a way, the way that she is punished by society at large um, through Maxim for being willing to be independent and being willing to take a stand and step outside of the role that she has been assigned. So you think Du Maurier is more sympathetic towards Rebecca in general than most would interpret ultimately? I think so. I don't think so. Hey everyone, sorry to interrupt, but this is a preview of the full review of the novel Rebecca here on Next Best Adaptation, part of the Next Best Picture podcast umbrella. I want to specifically thank Nicole Ackman for volunteering to bring this series back. We hope that during this quarantine time that you all can read along with us and be part of this really exciting podcast book club. Be sure to read along with us next month for our next adaptation review of Charles Dickinson's David Copperfield here on Next Best Adaptation. You can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, PlayRef, FM, Acast, CastBox, and also on Spotify. Be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think of the show. We really appreciate your feedback and your support, which you can lend on over at Patreon. This is a preview of the podcast, so if you want to get the full podcast, you have to head on over to Patreon, where for $1 minimum a month, under Next Best Picture, you will get the full review here, along with other exclusive podcast content from us. Thank you so much for listening, as always, and we shall see you all next time.